Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Ro, host of The Queen Pod. Queen have very kindly allowed us to use their wonderful music on this podcast, which is awesome. But the rest is up to us, darlings. Our goal is to provide you with an entertaining and informative companion piece to the entire Queen back catalogue. All of Queen, track by track. So, if you're in a position to offer us some support, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash queenpod and take a look at how to get involved. Thanks so much, and now sit back and enjoy while we rock you. Hello and welcome to the Queen Pod Series 2 finale, oh my god, so today we're doing a special episode devoted entirely to you, our listeners, the Queen de la Queen of Queen fans. If you're dipping your toe into the pod for the first time on this particular episode and you're unsure at this point whether to keep listening already, just know this, play Queen loud, that's it. That's all we need you to know. That's our number one takeaway. When you listen to Queen, listen to them loud. Hashtag PQL. All right, you're free to go if you wish. However, why would you? Because it's not just me on here. I am joined by my wonderful royal family of Queen podheads. Let them eat cake, she says. It's comedian Suze Kempner. Hello. Yes, that's me saying, telling everyone to eat a lot of cake. And then I get beheaded. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually brioche, fun fact. It was, yeah, and it was wow. some philosopher who wasn't even saying it about Marie Antoinette. He sort of said it as a general thing. Oh, they're like that, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> but that's for my history podcast. <laughs> oh, play Queen Loud and learn history. Um, they call him Mr. Fahrenheit. It's Queen documentarian Simon Lupton. Hello. Hello, Hello mate. Nice to be here. How are you Hello. feeling? Warm? Yeah, man. Degrees. <laughs> now listen, Simon, there are plenty of ways that you can hurt a man and bring him to the ground. You can beat him, you can cheat him, you can treat him bad and leave him when he's down. And yet, even after I've tried all that, he's still here. It's comedian John Robbins. Hello. Hello, one and all. How are you? Are you ready? I'm ready. Yes. And I'm a man with a one-track mind. It's me, Ro, your host. Hello. My goodness, at least I get a break from having to do those for a while. So listen, this is our 21st episode, guys. This is our 21st birthday. Wow. Wow. Season two. Hasn't it gone quickly? How lovely. It has. Too quickly. 
too quickly. We have got loads of treats, loads of treats coming up for you guys uh, this episode. We've got lots and lots of listeners' questions. We've each picked out sort of five spotlights. Uh, Susie's doing like a spotlight, five little spotlights on Freddy. Uh, I think, John, you're doing Brian. Um, on this occasion, Simon's taken Roger because he's a percussionist and he knows what percussion is. So he's doing a spotlight on Roger moments. And uh, I've taken John um, uh, for some nice bass things. So we'll do a bit of that. We've updated the top 10 music videos with our listener contributions. That's a lot, isn't it? And is we've a got a special guest, folks. So hang on to your hats for that. Uh, but let's kick off with a fan question from one of our lovely patrons, Sarah. Hi, my name's Sarah. I've got a question for Suze, Simon and John. How would each of you introduce Roe if you had the freedom and licence to do so? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Queen Pod. You're the highlight of the week. You make me laugh. You make me nostalgic. You make me rethink my opinions of music that's been in my life for 50 years. Thank you all so much. Really looking forward to the next season. Bye. Oh, oh, thanks, wow. Sarah. Oh, thank you so much. Lovely, <laughs> lovely thing to say. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Moving on. Wow. <laughs> Should we just move straight on? <laughs> Sleeping very soundly on a Saturday morning, it's Row. <laughs> <laughs> I would say... Um, That's very accurate. <laughs> born on the 21st of May, died syphilis, 44 on his birthday. <laughs> Every second word he swore, yes, he was the son of a lovely lady, always wanted by the law. (laughs) Problem there is I'd I'd have to figure out a way of actually catching syphilis, which is uh, elusive. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see a lot of it anymore, do you? (laughs) Not in my shop. (laughs) Oh, dear. Don't worry, Simon, you don't have no, to do sorry. this. No, sorry. Brain's right. gone blank. It was just an opening salvo. Just a bit of fun to kick off with. Listen, let's kick off as we normally do with Queen of the Champions. We are the champions. We are the champions. All right, so do any of us have uh, any Queen moments we'd like to share? Yeah, I've got one, actually. Um, yeah. Which, which is... Um, very reminiscent of, of one you had earlier in the season, Row. Mm-hmm. Um, when your uh, parents go clearing out lofts and garages and things like oh, that yeah. and, and find stuff. Um, and in a, an effort to sort of pull the heartstrings of your nostalgia, get them down for you and say, here, yeah, why don't you have all these back? <laughs> to get rid of them, basically. Because <laughs> um, you know you're never going to throw them away. And so um, there's some Queen items that came my way. Um Mainly calendars, I have to say. The official Queen fan club um, calendars used to come out each year, going as far back as 1989. Um, oh, wow. But also, uh, which I have here, which I'll hold up show you, my very first ever Queen T-shirt. Oh, wow. Oh. It's quite subtle, actually. I quite, there you go. How about that? Yeah. Oh. oh, very nice. Okay, so it's sort of in the a kind of magic writing. It's a white T-shirt. We'll yeah. probably get a photo of this up on the old Insta or something, won't we? Because that's well. what we do these days. But yeah, in uh, red and blue. Very nice. It's, yeah, yeah, it's quite tasteful, I thought. Yeah. yeah. It well, doesn't look official. Does it still fit? <laughs> I haven't dared try. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was 30 years. <coughs> so do you remember <laughs> picking it out and the decision I know, that I you g- took or anything like that? Is it brought I back honestly can't. But as soon yeah. as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, yes. I remember. <laughs> oh. Um, I 
can't remember where I got it from, but there we are. Oh, oh that's awesome. Well done, Mr. Brought back lots of memories. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's if so nice. If we're on the subject of T-shirts, give me one second. Hang on. My brother f- has managed to get for me online the um, cartoon print uh, T-shirt that Freddie was wearing at Wembley 86. Oh, Betty Boo. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, He's He managed no, to find that. So no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slice the arms off it and then parade around <laughs> oh hell yeah that is yeah. awesome that is a great queen moment i love it uh the one for me uh is um my mate rich smith pointed this out to me uh and uh, Suze, you knew about this as well it's the absolute radio world cup of classic rock uh are you guys aware of this mm. what queen won do you guys know what it came down to the final two it was queen yeah. versus yeah go on simon guns and roses oh hell yeah guns and roses which i think is it's, it, that's a good. That is a good that's final a good, pairing. Heavyweights. Check this out though. Uh, Queen emerged victorious against Guns N' Roses with a whopping seventy-six percent of the vote. <laughs> and it was like that in every round. Like they obliterated it really the competition. Was. Yeah, yeah. They just smashed their way through it. So knocking out absolutely everybody. Rolling Stones gone. Eagles gone. <laughs> Smith gone. Queen. Reign supreme. And it's not the first time for uh, their triumph at an absolute radio poll. In May last year, uh, 2020, they were voted the greatest live act of all time by absolute radio listeners as well. So well done, absolute radio listeners and absolute radio. You should be playing more Queen, let's be honest. Well, um, a, that reminds <laughs> yeah, me, because Radio X did their annual Best of British, which, well, I was on Radio X. I caused many headaches for management by ensuring Queen won every year, despite not initially being played by the station. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, my influence has worn off because Queen was second this year. Oh. Bohemian so Rhapsody so came in second. Oh. I, I'm guessing number one was Wonderwall or something like that. Oh. But um, uh, it, that doesn't necessarily mean that they technically came second. They may have charted higher. But no longer is there an annoying presence in the office saying, <laughs> if you cook the books, I'll go to the press. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'm going to move on uh, to Simon's five spotlights on Mr. Roger Taylor. Um, I get to go first. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I panicked. No, uh, that's I fair enough. I myself second. Um, can I just say, and I, I hope you found this as well, this was really tough. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. really tough. So to put this into context for our dear listeners, we were given the task of finding five moments from the entire Queen studio catalogue to highlight why we think each member of the band is a genius, essentially. What makes them so brilliant. Um, so that's how I approached it with Roger. And when you have the entire catalogue <laughs> to sort of draw on... It's impossible. And um, I was really worried that I would come up with a list of of five pieces that someone would say to me, how on earth could you do a a list of five things and not have X, Y or Z on it? And even when I come up with a list, I was thinking, how on earth have I come up with that list without five, you know, X, Y or Z on it? So I think we're all doomed from the start. So (laughs) um, essentially, I'm not saying these are the definitive five moments. They are just five moments. So I addressed it as if... I was introducing someone to Roger's drumming for the first time and explaining why he is such an integral part of Queen, okay? But putting aside 
what he brings as a composer and vocalist, which is a huge amount on both fronts. Um, and I've not focused on his technique because you couldn't be in a band like Queen if you weren't one of the best drummers in the world anyway. Mm. Um, so if you want an example of that, just listen to the drum solo in Dragon Attack. There is technique. Brilliant. So that's not on my list. Um, no, but instead, I, in Roger, Queen have got a drummer that also, as well as technique, brings musicality, precision, power and sensitivity. So I want to elaborate on those bits. So I started my journey with the first album. Um, so when we're all getting to know the band at the beginning. Um, and listeners will recall that Smile was formed when Roger answered an advert placed by Brian for a Ginger Baker, Mitch Mitchell type drummer. Um, and there were so many tracks on this album alone that I could have used to illustrate why Roger was the perfect man for the job. I could have picked um, all of my five already, actually. Um, I could have gone for Keep Yourself Alive, Liar. Um, there was a track, I'm not sure if you've heard it, called Modern Times Rock and Roll, <laughs> uh, which is really good, drumming in that. Um, and actually, the drumming on Jesus is immense as well. Um, so that could have been my five. But... Um, Instead, I picked the track that I think the whole feel and vibe of is dictated to by Roger's drumming and his use of percussion. Um, plus, he could very easily have gone with a very simple rock rhythm on this, uh, just you know, to, to give it that bedrock. It would have worked, but not our Rog, no. Mm. Um, so I went to start this story with Great King Rat. <laughs> So yeah, so really setting the vibe for that track. Um, for my second one, I wanted to Can I just say, Simon, to... very quickly, yeah. I feel like you, you've put so much thought into this, I, I think I'm going to get crucified on my turn. I'm very worried. <laughs> I don't. So I don't well think there's reasoned. a right or a wrong. I think that's okay. what we. we, we of course, I've if you want to hear Roger being a genius, just listen to any Queen song. But this is yeah. so lovely. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. Uh, no, show. I want to draw so attention to the other crucial role of the drummer, which is obviously to keep time. So um, together, a really tight bass and drum combination will provide a really solid bedrock for the band to sit on. Fortunately, all of Queen are amazing at keeping time. We've talked about Freddie's very percussive piano playing. Mm. Um, and I told you the story of how Brian managed to play 39 in time with himself, despite the distance of 30 years um, between the two versions. But on top of that, Roger has a f has fantastic precision. Um, and a great example of that is Stone Cold Crazy. Uh, now, once again, there's an easy option here of just playing a steady rhythm to keep everything together. Um, but Roger brings so much colour to it. And halfway through the clip I'm about to play, when he switches to just simply the hi-hat and the rim of the snare, um, is just is just brilliant. So here we are. Mm -hmm. 
I know. That's a good shout. You're right, and he sort of brings in the bass drum uh, part way through that as well, right? Like he's yeah. doing so much. It's, it's insane. It's amazing. Um, so we know that Roger is capable of turning it up to 11, which is what you want. Um, play Queen Loud. Uh, but it's important that we don't come away from this thinking that Roger just fills every song with you know, intricate drum rhythms and incredible feels. He's also an extremely talented musician who knows how to use his instrument to full effect so when you need him to bring the power he's masterful at it he does this by being incredibly restrained when he needs to be um which makes when he lets loose so much more impactful and i think uh, a fantastic example of that um is in the lap of the gods revisited there's no ending there's no meaning my pretending Believe me, life goes on and on and Forgive me when I ask you where do I belong You say I You can do it, you can do it You can go and set it free forces you to sway doesn't it yeah <laughs> absolutely um now i think it's fair to say that perhaps during the early 80s we'd lost a little bit of roger's drum influence on some of the tracks um where it was we weren't getting the power quite so much it was much more electronic and um i suspect he wasn't enjoying himself as as much as he had done on the earlier ones but by the time we get to a kind of magic um his drums get really exciting again and huge sounds that made a lot of the songs on that album really fly this was really hard to sort of pick something from this era because i think one vision is a good example as mm. it princes of the universe is huge mm. um give me the prize is another one um all massive drumming tracks however i wanted to focus on the orchestral element of queen here and how their music is so layered and crafted as if each band member is their own almost like their own orchestral section um, if you will. And once again, for this restraint and sensitivity that Roger is capable of and then delivering power when it's needed, um, I've actually gone with a bit of Who Wants to Live Forever.
it just just taps into what John said many times about Brian's guitar playing is about just doing enough to sort of make the point and I think that's a really good example of that and so finally so to bring the Roger journey full circle and essentially bring all of those elements together there's a great track to finish with so for musicality precision sensitivity sensitivity and power I've decided to end with innuendo to shout at me all the songs that I haven't included <laughs> should be in that top five. No, I'll give me a round of applause for that one, Simon. That is a beautiful selection. I think you've shone lights on so many lovely... I think Innuendo is a great shout, of course. The drumming mm. in that is madness. I suppose, yeah, you know, how do you ignore the fact that, say, like in Bohemian Rhapsody, that boom, tsh, yeah. boom, boom, tsh, is like huge. The We Will Watch yeah. You Stomping is huge. You, like, you have mm. to accept that there are these <laughs> ridiculous huge songs. But what do you guys think? Great selection, my God. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can see the... All the bones were already there on Queen One for the whole band, and mm. um, yeah, you can see them. And Roger, of course, from the off, going, "Okay, I think I can try this sort of thing." And then we we've seen it mature right the way up to innuendo. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, it makes that musicality sense. that that Simon's been on about mm. the tuning of his drums and that. I like that that sort of runs through all your selections here, Simon John. Yeah, and I think also a drummer, probably more than any member of a band, has to do lots of different things. <laughs> Just, mm. Sorry, that sounds really lame, yeah. but has to <laughs> has to handle because they're keeping time and pace, and so they're almost setting the tone for the song. So Roger's able to tick so many different boxes, like you say. He's not always full on. He's sometimes very restrained and mm. very gentle as well, but always using that musicality to make sure that the, the, the song, the feel of the song is right. And that's what, a, you know, a drummer is all about, the feel of the song. Yeah, He always contributes to the song, doesn't he? He always adds yeah. to it and um, makes it be what it is. I think that's fantastic. Well done, Simon. That's great. Thank you. Very, very good. Should we have a quick love of our lives? Yeah. 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 All right, then. So we've got a lovely letter from James Barber. 
which is just very sweet, and I thought I'd share it with you. Um, hello to all the Queen podcast. That's us. Uh, I am a very new listener to the podcast. I finished episode zeros and one of the first uh, one in the fir- uh, episode one of the first series so far. I was hesitant to listen, but it was recommended to me by another Queen tragic, and I'm glad I took the plunge. <laughs> yes, this it means it's working. The word is spreading, which is lovely. Mm. My hesitancy only stems from the fear of listening to people lording facts and experiences over me and or talking down to me as a fan. I could not be more wrong. I felt compelled to write to let you know that right from the get-go, I felt like I was in a room with friends eager to share their experiences, their knowledge and their passion. It's such a joyous podcast coming from the right place and delivered in the right way. I could fully relate to those stories in episode zero of being that kid at school. Which is sort of what boils all four of us. <laughs> <laughs> like immediately it did. Anyway, as someone who has adored this band since I was a little kid, and as someone who has been fortunate enough to embark upon the most amazing and ridiculous journey of my own as a direct result of loving this band as much as all of you clearly do, let me say that I am now a fan of the podcast, invested, enjoying it immensely, feeling like I'm checking in with friends, and looking forward to binging all the episodes now. Many thanks James Barber, and thank you to you, James. That is Aww. so nice to hear. We've never really had a chance to take stock of what we're up to, and I just thought, yeah, okay, this is sort of what we intended when we started out, and it's lovely, lovely to hear from those of you that feel we're, we're, we're hitting that that sweet spot. You're mm. definitely among <laughs> friends, James, definitely. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so... I thought it might be nice. Have you guys? We've never. We. I remember way back on episode zero. I sort of uh, talked about the first time I met Brian as it being quite a big deal for me. Um, but we've never had that thing of. I'd be curious to know some of Simon's stories of meeting the band mainly, and John yeah. as well. Uh, Suze, have you ever met the band? Oh, yeah. So. When I did in 2012, when I sang, I sang Barcelona at the um, Freddie Mercury. They have that trust uh, that every year there's a show, and it was at the Savoy Hotel. And um, yeah, well, at one point, Brian and Roger walked past, and Brian went, "Thanks so much for doing this." And I was like, "Thanks a lot." And and then I I I kind of had to take a moment, and then I got all my stuff and left the venue as quickly as possible. <laughs> I couldn't deal with it at all. So so yes, very 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 briefly, uh, and um, I I remember thinking, oh, you, "You didn't mess up," but equally, like I could have stuck around. <laughs> Also, when I, I got to um, I got to finals for uh, We Will Rock You for the for Scaramouche, which is the lead, in 2013, and we were told Brian and Roger will be there on the panel on the oh on God. finals day. Um, so I did walk into the room absolutely out of my brain with fear that I was going to have to sing Somebody to Love for my heroes but then they weren't there and so it was a really easy audition (laughs) no it was great i was like well thank for that (laughs) i know exactly what you mean by the um by the uh the the buzzing of flies in your head so like we brian thanks to simon i've i've been able to meet brian just enough times that the last time I met him, he went, do I, have we met before? And I sort of explained ah. how we had, and I, it was so lovely. And he just, put, he actually genuinely just puts you at ease so quickly. He's such a gentle, sweet man. Um, but I realised I'd never <laughs> talked about the, I've met Roger twice. 
Uh, and I don't think I've told you guys about that at all, no. which is so I was very, very lucky. Um, maybe half a decade ago, I got a amazing um, opportunity to produce a Ben Elton sitcom for BBC One, right? Proper studio sitcom with a live audience, you know, BBC One, the whole shebang. And it was genuinely the most remarkable experience of my life. I learned so much. It was Ben is such an inspiration. He is an amazing human being. He's mm. so funny, but he, he he is he is so funny and so fast. But what you don't know probably from his output is just how huge a heart that man has. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, we we've talked about Queen a little bit over the course of the production and stuff and he knows I'm into them. We're getting on we're getting on well. Uh, and then about a week before we record, we recorded these episodes on a Friday night, right in front of a studio audience up in Salford. And uh, about a week before the last one, he went, "Oh, Roger's coming to the next one." Ah, uh. I just lost. I don't remember that week. I lost my stuff completely. You know, I just <laughs> lost it. So I'm there. Uh, you know, everything for these recordings is very regimented. Like, you have to start recording at 7.30 and you've got to be finished by 10, otherwise there's overtime and all this kind of terrible stuff. And it's coming up to 7.30 and Roger still hasn't arrived and I'm now outside, you know, the studio just desperately searching the horizon for when this man's going to appear. And I've got people in my ears going, are we starting recording? Are we starting recording? And I'm just holding them and I'm now getting to the point where I'm crossing the threshold of when we have to start and I'm not letting it start and the director's going absolutely bananas he's a hugely experienced director <laughs> you know and then I just get a text going he's nearly here and um Phil McIntyre is just just appears on the horizon with Roger and Roger's whole family and they come walking up and I'm like okay great they're here so I just sort of all I know is that as they approach I just start babbling at Roger I don't really know what I'm saying to him and you just hear Phil Mack from behind me just going, he's a Queen fan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and Roger just has this amazing little look on his face where he just has this little rice smile and goes, oh, all right. You know, he just like, allows it. That's fine. I get it. No worries. God, I can't help you. It's basically, I can't help you with what you're going through right now. He's like the coolest man. Um, and then I get to walk out in front of these three, 400 people with, Roger Taylor and his, you know, like I, I've lost it. Like at one point, one of his daughters goes, "So, so where are we going?" <laughs> so, oh yeah, sorry, I've got to take you. You know, I've, I've lost it completely. Anyway, I get to sit him down in the audience. There's this buzz in the audience because everyone's, like, "Oh wow, Roger Taylor's in the." Hmm. So we have this lovely recording. It's really funny. It goes really well. And my job afterwards is to take Roger and his family up to the, um, the after show bar in the fancy BBC club afterwards, right? Uh, and so I'm walking around with him, and I say to him. Um, oh, so did you like the show? And he was so lovely. He was just like, oh, my God, it was so funny. I love this. There was a brilliant little sequence where David Haig is getting a proctal examination. It was just very, very funny. And uh, he was like, really? And you could just see he was really happy to talk about Ben's work and, and, and the episode. Um, but all my brain is doing is how do I connect to Roger Taylor? Mm. So halfway through his him talking about how much he'd enjoyed the evening, I just blurt out, I know Simon Lupton. <laughs> And he goes, who? Aww. <laughs> That's it. So I just, I just shut down completely. I just go, very good. I take him into the lift, take him upstairs, and do the same thing that you did. So I sat him in the bar, at the corner of the bar, to himself with his family, and I refused to go anywhere near for the rest of the night. I just couldn't cope at all. Like, Roger is just too cool for me to handle. 
and then a couple of years later, Simon had managed to get uh, me and producer Giles on to shoot the last two performances of We Will Rock You, which Brian and Roger turned up for. So uh, Giles had had the brilliant idea of putting a couple of GoPros on Roger's drum kit. So he put them on there. Uh, and I had used that as a legit excuse for me to be stood on stage to supervise. I, there was no need for me to be there whatsoever. And I'd known, a mate of mine used to work a uh, box office there. And she'd said, oh, God, whenever they come in, it's just so loud, the building shakes. And genuinely, <laughs> the whole building suddenly shook as there was this... And I looked across and about five foot in front of me, Brian was just smiling at me with the red special. And that was what was making the the whole building shake just with a little smile and they started to sound check and um roger had sort of uh run into me as he was walking over to the uh drum kit and i'd sort of said oh we have met actually i've produced ben's show and he went oh yeah okay and he sat down and put his cans on and for some reason there was an awful piece of feedback and it screamed in his ear and he ripped his cans off and he was Clearly, quite justifiably going to kick off except he looked the first thing he saw when he looked up was just me grinning gormlessly at him like, <laughs> like an absolute village idiot and he sort of couldn't he sort of couldn't kick off because there i was there just going eh. um the point being i can't cope with roger taylor in any way <laughs> that is that is that is the point I, I will hang out with brian all day long but roger's just too cool for me i can't handle it i cannot handle it Simon, you've probably got a million stories, all of which are better than the ones that I've just told. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I I do remember um, a very extraordinary experience. It actually, it was the first time I met Jim Beach. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I'd it was I'd met Brian first, and we'd sort of talked about working on some DVDs. And Brian had said, "Well, you need to come and meet Jim." Um, so it was. I, I, there was an arrangement to go over to Jim's flat in London to meet him, and Brian says, "I'll, I'll come as well. I'll be there too because um, it'd be good to have a chat." So anyway, we go to meet Jim, and I have to say, it's, he's an intimidating man. You know, yeah. that's how you get that that job. And I obviously yeah. knew him by reputation; never met him before. He's also a lovely man, but you know, I was very much on my best behaviour, um, and it just became one of the most surreal experiences because I was sat on the sofa. Jim was across from me. Brian turned up, lay on the other sofa, kicked his clogs off and promptly fell asleep on the sofa. Um, and um, I was being interrogated by Jim. Um, uh, Reese was with me as well. And, you know, why we should... And Brian was DVDs. just asleep. Yeah. I mean, not snoring or anything, but he just shut his eyes and that was it. And then <laughs> to make it even more bizarre is that about halfway through... Jim's phone rang and he answered it and he just got yes no wrong number and and he just hung up and I just thought someone has just phoned the wrong number and if they could have seen what they were dialing into wow. which was me sweating profusely <laughs> with Jim Beach and Brian asleep on the sofa this is very bizarre <laughs> but um there was another moment I just quickly um I used to work at the BBC and it was we talked about this before it was when the cast went we were OcuCast went on Parkinson um and Brian and Roger went on as well to be interviewed and um I was able to go and sit in the studio audience to watch it and I was able to take someone with me so my sister came up to London to to join me and she's a huge Queen fan as well and a 
patron member of this podcast. Yeah, huge supporter of it. And um, so she came along and we watched the show. And then as we were slowly filing out of the studio afterwards, so there's this queue of people slowly moving out, this door opened and Brian walked into the lobby where the queue of people leaving was. And you could just feel everyone just sort of went really quiet. And it was like, <gasps> it's Brian May. Like that <laughs> all went really quiet. And bearing in mind, I, you know, my sister's older than me, so she's never thought I was cool in any shape or form at all. Brian sees me in the queue and goes, Simon! And oh, comes over wow. and gives me a hug, which was oh. lovely. Um, and everyone around just looked like they swallowed a wasp. Uh, who's he? Why is he getting the attention? And I said to my, I said, well, I said, oh, by the way, this is my sister and introduced her. And he shook her by the hand, kissed her on both cheeks, and went, lovely to meet you at last, to which she just sort of <laughs> melted a bit. And then he said, um, I've just got to do something. I'll see you later. And we're like, yeah, yeah, fine. So we then got into the lift to then go up to the next floor to the drinks thing afterwards, at which point my sister lost it in the lift and just went oh my god i've just <laughs> met Brian May. he just kissed me on both cheeks i'm never gonna wash my face ever again oh my god like that at which point i said can i just introduce you to sarah and phil brian's pa and driver who are also <laughs> in the lift <laughs> <laughs> I think me and your oh. sister would get on, that sounds like... <laughs> yeah, it's the power of rock dog gods, isn't it? It's yeah. absolutely amazing. <laughs> absolutely amazing. John, have you got a little story to share with us on this little note? I think I've used up all of my meeting <laughs> members of Queen's well, story. All, all I've, like, I've told you the time I bumped into Peter Freestone in Leicester Square, haven't I? No. Don't, don't think so. so. No. Why not? Don't no, think I don't so. I was walking into Radio X... Uh, in on a Saturday morning, and it's a time of day when Leicester Square is very, very empty and nice. And I walked past this guy, and he sort of looked a bit lost. And I thought, I know that guy from somewhere. And then I thought, holy f- that's Peter Freestone. <laughs> <laughs> so this would have been in, like, maybe four years ago. And I hadn't seen him since, like, a, well, I've never met him and had only seen him on Talking Heads from Queen documentaries in the 90s. So I think I need to make sure. So I sort of pretend I'm lost. <laughs> I then Google him and try and find a recent picture. And I'm like, yeah, that's Peter Freestone. So I go up to this guy and I, and I go up to him and said, excuse me, you're Peter Freestone, aren't you? And he went, yeah. I said, oh my God, I'm just a... a huge fan and I obviously know you from loads of Queen documentaries and um, I want to say thank you for all the sort of interviews you've given over the years and he was in London because he was sort of um, an advisor on Bohemian Rhapsody the film right Mm -hmm. Um, so that was very nice and I then unfortunately had to rush off to my to my show but I got to meet him have have I told you the time I, I was in the same room as John Reed no. No. For, forgive me if I have mentioned this on previous pod, a very early podcasts, but um, my uh, a friend of my fiance's parents was having a party, um, and they'd hide out Bush Hall in London, which is just such a nice venue. I've seen mm. musicians there over the years, and I've done stand up there, 
So anyway, the dress code was fabulous. So I'm not a guy who owns a huge amount of fabulous clothes. It's queen t-shirts and jeans <laughs> and Louis t-shirts and jeans. Um, but I do have my Freddie Mercury leather jacket. Of course. And I thought, well, that's it's the only thing that really fits the bill. <laughs> so I and it suits you, John. I love oh, it. thank I you. So it's the first time I've ever worn it at a sort of non-Queen-related instance, of course, because it's not the sort of thing you can just kind of go out and about in, though sometimes no, I'm tempted. it generally needs the context to pull it off, doesn't it? <laughs> so anyway, I get there, and it becomes immediately clear there's, there's quite a few um, celebs at this at this gathering, and I think, right, I'm not sure about this jacket. I feel a bit weird <laughs> now because people aren't wearing like insane stuff like this I've gone the more fancy dress route so I pop into a bar to consider whether I can change out of it and in that bar is John Reed. I was just like oh no what are the chances just as Freddie Mercury and John Reed's here um luckily I wasn't sat next to him um I didn't I didn't chat to him or anything okay okay but I stood next to him wearing a that's Led, pretty cool. Fre- yellow leather Freddie Mercury jacket. That's pretty cool. The juxtaposition <laughs> really. alone uh, earns you some massive house points for that. <laughs> yeah, house points to house me for that. Bravo, bravo. Well, that was lovely. If a little indulgent, but I thought it might be fun for people to hear our hapless encounters. <laughs> and we love hearing from you guys. Um, uh, uh, so do email us, queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Uh, with your little stories of running into the band. We'd love to hear from you. We'll share them. We'll share them on the pod. It would be so nice. This is mainly about you guys, which brings us to a listener question from Michael Smith, which he says is mainly for Suze, but I thought it might be fun for all of us to answer. If you could pick one Queen song to sing live in front of a full Wembley stadium, what would it be? (laughs) Oh my god! Do you know, I just um, need a second to think. Uh, no. no, because no. Okay. I I used to practice in the mirror with a pair of scissors for a microphone, and I wasn't like eight or anything either. I was probably about twenty-two, but uh, I would <laughs> I would sing "My Fairy King," and I found a way of doing the whole thing myself. <laughs> and oh, I, went, wow. I was like, I can do all of that, and I so I'd like to sing "My Fairy King." on stage at Wembley Stadium to a baffled wow. crowd. Oh. My Fairy King is such a huge shout. Go on, Simon, you already know the answer. I, I was going to say, I, th- I think I'd, um, self-indulgent, I'd go with Radio Gaga. A, because it's not a particularly difficult song to sing, um, but also just because I just love the look of a oh. Wembley Stadium clapping along. It would be, what an amazing feeling. Oh my feeling. God, yeah, just to be out there in front of the whole, with the double claps. Yeah. My God, yeah, that's a really great shout. Um, how about you, John? Well, uh, the key question is, am I blessed with the ability to sing the song? <laughs> so I'm oh, no. if, if not, I'm going to no, politely decline specified. the invitation. It literally says, if you could pick one song to sing. So, um, no, there's no, no, there's no stipulation about whether well, you can sing or not. So I'm restricted to probably about two or three percent of the catalogue. Um, <laughs> but because I, because I have sung the the Montreal the Milton Keynes version of Somebody to Love, because I've sung that on stage and I'm familiar with just how many pints I need right. to relax my vocal cords to the point at which it's sort of within the bounds of possibility. Though there is one note that when I did it, um, I did it for uh, 
a musical, you know, the um, the comedian's uh, oh, musical yes. show, which is brilliant. Yeah. There's one note where I hadn't quite got the amount of pints right <laughs> and it took me two attempts. But what was quite nice is I just stopped the band. I said, right, I'm going to have another go at that. <laughs> and we did it again and I managed to just about hit it. So... Um, I'd go for somebody to love, That's but it has choice. to be the Milton Keynes version. Brilliant. Yeah, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. I'm going I Want It All. That's where ah, I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? I love I love singing that. And also, I genuinely know the words. I don't need a karaoke machine to tell me the words. I'm like, there. So, uh, yeah. And also... Well, what's terrifying is you, I, I can sing along to every single Queen song. But you oh, yeah. put me on a stage when I'm doing something I don't usually do, which is sing. Could I remember what order the verses of Somebody to Love... I had to have it written down, which is insane. Mm. Right. Why is I could... that, Suze? Oh, well, I don't know. Probably because you're like thinking about 20 other different things. Right. So it doesn't become second nature. Uh, is, learning, is knowing the lyrics a nightmare? <laughs> is it difficult to know the lyrics? Uh I'm used to learning lyrics, so right. I find it all right. But, um, like, if I have to sing, like, because I'm not a dancer. <laughs> for a comedian, I'm a very good dancer. For a, someone who works in musical theatre, I'm appalling. Um, right. So if I have to sing and dance, even if it's a song I know really well, as soon as you give me the steps, I'll forget the song. So, yeah, it's probably right. that. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like learning to play the guitar and sing at the same time, isn't it? Mm. But also, when you when you do stand up, your your link is um, sort of uh, so that muscle in my brain, which is the mm. only muscle I've been using for fifteen years, <laughs> is it's logic. It's a logical step because you're telling a story, so you know this bit comes after yeah. that bit because you need to say that bit in order to get that bit. Whereas because the intro to the verse and the chorus is pretty much the same every time. You suddenly, I just felt completely lost. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I had no you've... sort of cue. And somebody to love is, I mean, there are there is a verse chorus uh, form to the song. It's not like everything in it is different, but uh, each section is slightly different. So as soon as you've mm. got one bit wrong, you're like, oh sh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Giles. I keep swearing. <laughs> it's out of respect for Freddie, who loves exactly. swearing. Exactly, exactly. Oh, that was such a fun question. Thank you, Michael Smith. So it is now time for me to do my spotlights on Mr. John Deacon. Right. Uh, which is quite tricky to do, like Simon was saying. And also, I am more of a layman. It's not like I'm a as au fait with music as I think you guys are so forgive me bass heads out there if you disagree with any of this I mean you've got huge obviously you've got the huge tracks like another one bites the dust under pressure kind of magic Bohemian Rhapsody we talked about in the very last episode <laughs> what he's doing in that is huge right? um, <coughs> crazy little thing called love was in the mix most of hot space was in that, you know especially staying power live i wanted to give a shout out for that anytime he plays that live it's insane um but in the end i just went for some selections from my heart five tracks from my heart that uh, moments that i just uh, come up in my head when i when i think of john deacon and his bass playing um and in the end all five tracks ended up coming from just two albums can you believe that wow mm, Isn't that amazing right um, so it wouldn't be me if I didn't do a little shout out for Mr. John Deacon in The Invisible Man. 
So obviously, yes, The Invisible Man, I am flying the flag for that song. What could you do? Um, and off the same album, I also uh, I also picked out Breakthrough, just because it's so hench. He used driving that song. I think he was... Am I right in thinking that he was quite... He was sort of the major contributor to the writing of that song as well, Simon? Or was that Roger? I can't quite Rod, remember. Breakthrough is Roger, yeah. Roger, oh, OK. Yeah. But still... Uh, he has given yeah. John so much fun to have, and I, I just wanted to play a little bit from the end of the song. That song just makes me grin. I can't help it. I just get so juiced up listening to it. It's so lovely. Uh, My next little spotlight I thought I would take uh, is on the middle section of Save Me. That's my favourite Deacon bass line. Is it? Is it? It's so good. The whole, the, almost the entire bass line is like a counter melody. It's yeah. so clever. And it's just that a friend of mine once said when on one of the many occasions I've attempted to learn a bass, there are things a bassist has to do, there are things a bassist, a bassist should do, and there are things a bassist uh, can do if they want to. And John's judgment of when to 
when to embellish and when to sit back are so good. But often it's not the bass solos in inverted commas that yeah. are his most impressive stuff. It's what's going on in the background that's often yeah. quite difficult to yeah. hear. Because, yeah. mm. I mean, and Save so Me... it's melodic the, there. Yeah, and the whole the melody, the whole song is essentially coming from that bass. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. It is brilliant. And it's so delicate. And you don't expect that from... But you don't use the word delicate with bass that much right mm. and you do here uh, and along the same theme and on the same album uh, i just wanted to play uh, sort of the end of um uh, another brian may track uh, sail away sweet sister just keeps picking it up and oh, it's amazing and uh, I, I'm suddenly realising I don't actually have any John Deacon tracks on this list at all uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of Brian and a bit of Roger here uh, 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 but my uh, top choice uh, not my top choice, my final choice uh, for a uh, spotlight on Mr John Deacon from the same album The Game which I think on balance is probably my favourite album uh, at this point but uh, I've, I've got a shout out for uh, Brian May's Dragon Attack Get down That's not bad for a little selection of Mr. Deeks. Fantastic. You guys happy? I just love You have to have Dragon Attack in there. Such a a great Immense. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but who is it? Uh, Is it Huey who's the uh, front man for the fun loving criminals? And he used to have a Radio 1 show, and I used to be, you know, every Saturday night I'd be driving back. Uh, from seeing my kid down in Bournemouth and a bit listening to, and one night he just went, yeah. So I'm just about to play my favourite Queen track. It was on side B of another one bites the dust, and I don't understand why another one bites the dust is more famous than this. And they play track and attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Like it's very close to being my favourite all-time Queen song, Dragon Attack. Yeah. Am I am I right in thinking that two members of Queen play different? instruments in the band that they first started playing in their first band 
because didn't John start as a rhythm guitarist and didn't uh, Roger learn the guitar before the drums? Ooh, Ooh, good question. And I, I mean, you could say Freddie learned the piano before he learned to sing. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just struck me that, I mean, I'm sure that's quite common that the first instrument people learn is the guitar, but it's, it's, it's fascinating when musicians become known for a musician that perhaps isn't their first, necessarily their first choice or their mm. first love. The thing that always blew my mind was that John learned p- um, piano on the fly while he was in the band. Yeah, in that's to crazy. To write, <laughs> in order to write songs. Like, what's mm. that? Yeah, they are. They are. They're just they're musical geniuses. They really, really are. Um, absolutely amazing. Uh, okay, so now we have a very special treat for all of you, for we have the official Queen archivist. Uh, author of Queen uh, concept documentary, co-author of Freddie Mercury, A Life in His Own Words. It is, of course, the wonderful Greg Brooks. Greg, thank you for joining us, man. Thank Yay. you so much. Hello. Thank, thank you, you for having thank me. You. It's very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been lovely. And also, uh, I just wanted to thank you for all the little uh, choice little nuggets that you've been slipping Simon over the last, oh, yes, <laughs> over good, the yeah. last year. It's been so, so appreciated. Yeah, um, some of them have been know. quite nice, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've allowed definitely. Cyber to take credit, but in my heart, I've been giving you the credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that they've been so works. nice, genuinely treats. Really, really beautiful. Thank you so oh, much. Good. Um, so we thought we'd just kick off with a few general questions about you and uh, I'm sure that the guys here have got some questions they desperately want to know about all the stuff that you know uh, and then I've got a couple of uh, fan questions as well but I just wanted to kick off by um, by just talking about um, uh, your new book that you are working on there's nothing new about it what are you talking about (laughs) just recently decided to put a book together right in the last couple of weeks yeah it's Um, it's taken about four days so far (laughs) (laughs) plus 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 an an additional 17 years yeah right yeah yeah so long isn't it it's been it's been four days and 17 years Years. (laughs) (laughs) so um uh, you've called the book I Want It All. Uh, yes. Why is that? As in, why don't you tell us about what you've been up to? What prompted you to start putting well, it together, really? It's a good question. It, mm. It's been called that from about five minutes after conceiving it. That's never changed. Oh, wow. Um, I was at Brian's, uh, in the Brian's archive one day, sorting out his various things, all this stuff that I was doing at the time. Um Included sorting all the all the cases and boxes and bags he he had all over the house and various properties and bringing it all together, and it didn't take very long for me to think actually this would make a lovely book, wouldn't it? All this memorabilia, um, and the more I thought about it in that afternoon, I was I immediately started thinking about titles, and then I saw I want it all single, and I thought that really says it all, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, it there's does. so many people that I've known over the years and they would all most of them anyway would all say well i want it all if i could have it all i would <laughs> so mm. that's where it came from oh, and really? it hasn't it has never really? changed that's so good and also um i was just uh in terms of like is is the objective to try and make as complete a collection in book form as you can out of all of the treats that are sat in the queen archives or the the 
intention of the book really was to bring together as many things as possible we could do into one place for the first time. Uh, a lot of the stuff I knew no one had ever seen because Brian retains the only copies of certain things, certain posters he has from the early days of Queen and even Smile, the pre-Queen band. Wow. And even in Queen time, he and the band members would all be given things that nobody else would be given. So, for example, in 75, um, John Reed, the manager at the time, gave them all four of them a little gold-plated, I think it might even be gold rather than gold-plated, um, souvenir badge for Bohemian Rhapsody reaching number one. So wow. they they all so got one. So there were one, only ever four of those. There were only ever four. So wow. Brian has things like that, and he's retained his copy. I don't know if the other guys have got theirs. But he often will keep acetates, um, unique recordings, all kinds of oddments, menus. If he went out for a meal, he would keep the menu. Uh, those kind of things that nobody else would think to keep. All the tour programmes and the passes and the laminate passes and all the things he would have had uniquely, including, oh, just, just too many things to mention and, and things that his <laughs> mum and dad would have collected as well because his mum and dad made sure they archived as many things as they could for him. And between the three of them, they, they more or less kept everything. And then when I came along, we, we bought a few more collections as well. Mm. So we bought two or three big collections and we never, we haven't got it all. No one's got it all. As I, as I write in the introduction, nobody can have everything, but Brian's got a lot of it. And the things we didn't have, we reached out to fans all around the world. So one way or the other, we we achieved what I set out to do, which was to I, I want even that even the fans that have seen everything or believe they've seen everything and have the biggest collections have already told me some of the things I've shown them. They, they didn't even know existed, oh, wow. much less oh, seen them. No. So oh, that's that's what I want. I want people to want people to open this book and be blown away by the, the scale of it and the diversity of it. So is is Brian the main collector in the band so are you are you dealing with his and roger and john's and freddie's collections or is it mainly yours and brian's it's 95 percent brian's stuff he yes he is the bill wyman of the of queen <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been said before but it is absolutely true he, he's he's the man that recognized early on these things are worth keeping um fact, so are there things that you ever say to roger Brian hasn't got this thing. Did, did you keep it? And Roger's like, no, I chucked that away years no, ago. So he's a frustrating Roger element. Roger wasn't, didn't keep a lot of that stuff. Uh, uh, you, you know, you could say he's probably too busy enjoying himself than to think, <laughs> I know, I'll keep this menu in my top pocket. <laughs> Brian really did, and he, he loves that stuff. He's got a lot of affection and sentimentality for all those little details that that collectively make up queen history they all have a tiny part to play so it's dealing with his stuff mainly um roger has retained certain things he's got he has some diaries which i've been through looking for things like not necessarily memorabilia but more information um so over the 24 years i've been around i've gone through everything i can lay my hands on um regarding memorabilia, diaries, notes, notebooks, and pretty much by now have gleaned everything that it's pos 
possible to glean from a physical point of view. The rest of it's in the in the brains of the the three remaining guys, you know. Amazing. Mm. I really enjoyed your feature in that uh, recent record collector um, magazine you. that you did. Uh, it was beautifully written, and um, uh, uh, when you laid out the stuff, you have these gorgeous pictures of all of them and 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 just the right amount of information mm. about each of those bits which was really really exciting to read. Yes. is that sort of the layout of the book is that kind of how you've put it together kind of it's i mean i, I got involved in that so heavily because it was a nice promotion for the book sure. i also wanted to get some idea of the reaction and how people would react to certain things so mm. i did deliberate things like i Put some real treasures in there, real posters and Japanese posters and oddments and laser discs. But I also put some peculiar things like the four masks of the band members, oh, yes. you know, the cardboard mask. Yes. Just to see if people hated that, that really stuff fun. and thought, why would why would you do that? Or <laughs> actually people have said that is fun. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to go from yeah. the from the absurd and ridiculous as well as the serious stuff. Yeah. yeah. So absolutely. the book really should really cover everything that from the sublime to the ridiculous to the novelty and the wonderful posters and albums that you'd expect well uh greg i don't know if you can see behind me a pretty modest uh, <laughs> uh, you say it covers everything um greg do you do you have uh, an unofficial uh, candle of Freddie Mercury dressed as a Bavarian prince for no reason whatsoever? Yes, that's on the cover of the book. <laughs> uh, we went instead with Freddie dressed as Mona Lisa, mm. which I have uh. got an item here, a, a framed picture. That I bought at a Queen fan club convention. Oh wow! Um, really obscure thing. I, I, we have got some really stupid, outrageous things that have no business ever to have been manufactured. <laughs> but well, that that would have been up there with it. That thing you showed me. Yes. The the Perhaps true test. In the sequel book. Yeah, the true test of any Queen fan. Great. Here we go, John. Come on, <laughs> come on, bring out the big guns. I know what's coming. In. Oh yes. <laughs> How many editions of Queen in Cornwall do you have? Ah, just the one, no. I think. Ah. Ah. Well, that's what sets archivists like me aside from you, Greg, because I've got, I've got two editions of Queen in Cornwall, and one of them is, is signed by the author. Well, I might be lying to make you feel better, because I do actually collect books. as one of the few things I still collect. And I, I've got so many books, they've had to go out into the garage, because once upon a time... I would buy the hardback and the softback and mm. the Japanese and the French just for fun, really. Wow. <laughs> but it got a bit much. So it's all out in the garage. I got rid of a lot of my own stuff because I just don't have the room and or other good reasons. But the things I do collect still and have kept are Japanese books and magazines and any magazines with Queen or Freddie on the cover and books. I mean, Amazing. as an archivist, I need to be able to lay my hands on any book and any bit of information if I'm asked for it. And you'd be surprised how often I am asked for strange pieces of information. So do you know mm. where everything is? Do you kind of have it? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I know where it is precisely or at the very least uh, a good idea where it is. There's nothing that I would think I have no idea at all where that is. Right, right, right. 
by now we know we've been through all the posters and all the CDs and all the vinyl and all the cassettes and all the costumes and T-shirts. So there's, I know generally where they are. There's, there's one thing in John's collection that has always surprised me and tickled me, and I'm, I'm going to throw that down, and that is the unused Freddie Mercury Christmas cracker. Is that right, John? <laughs> yeah. Have you I, got that? Yeah I, yeah, I didn't have the heart to uh, I mean, that to is, crack it. This feels like high-end stuff. I mean... <laughs> I'm in awe of this. I just... I'm almost sobbing. I'm sobbing almost because it's. I failed to get it in the book. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not too late. There is but, still time, but I'm just going to pretend there isn't. You know, that's all right. I, I tell you what. If someone, if I die and someone finally cracks this cracker, there's mm. one of those gold Bohemian Rhapsody badges oh, inside. Yeah. I'm really yeah. annoyed. Oh wow! Oh, God, like Willy Wonka's ticket. My God. Where um, did you get that monstrosity from, anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Well, they, there was a themed. Um, oh Jesus! Look at that. It's uh, there was. I, th- I think there was David Bowie, Elton John, Freddie, and someone else in a in a sort of special edition of Christmas crackers. And a couple of years ago, this was at my place at my girlfriend's parents when we had Christmas dinner, and I was absolutely I was smitten yeah. when I saw him. <laughs> Is he being? Autoerotica, whatever it is. Strange meaning to it. Look at his neck. Yeah, the ribbons are placed around the uh, bits in the cracker what, that you that you grab, and the, it looks, it, yeah, it could it be from like... the Munich era, Simon. Can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, before we go off at another ridiculous tangent, I'm sitting here in my office and have been for months putting this book together. And only about two hours ago, I came across this picture of a trout, a singing trout fish that sings We Will Rock You. And then I saw the Mona Lisa thing. And then I thought, actually, I really should put together a two-page of obscure, ridiculous things. So if you're able to get a decent photo of that, and it'd it'd have to be quite sharp and ideally on a white background, nice sharp photo, I'll try and get it in. I'll use that. Wow. The, the, the Freddie Mercury Christmas cracker. Cracker, yeah. that is there funny. There you go, that, I mean, John. I mean, there we go. That's a huge win. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you think, Fergus, you can get I some photos of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can, stand I can it up and get a good yep. 3D shot and then lay it down, a little bit of shadow and a good light and a nice sharp photo. <laughs> and I'll, I'll try will. and get it in. I will obsess about that for hours. <laughs> that. Exactly right. Um, and, and do you want photos of the two editions of Queen in Cornwall? No. <laughs> I'll just double check. anybody. <laughs> I thought generally, okay, you've got to cover LPs and CDs and cassettes and posters and T-shirts, but you can't ignore the appalling stuff either yeah you know, it is memorabilia yeah and and some people do collect those things you yeah, know fun mm. merchandise is always fun merchandise right That's yeah so that you'll see a bit of that in there i've got no idea um by the way what the band will say when i hand this book in in june <laughs> oh. it could all get just it could do. I mean, I'm not even joking. It could just get thrown out, the whole book. <laughs> oh, just a big red line through the whole lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh. It would be horrendous, but they may well say, Greg, you, you know, I know you've got a sense of fun and 
there is there is a certain amount of humour within Queen, or always has been, but you've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> I think, so, I, can we just say in advance, if they say that about the cracker, that was all John, not, not oh, yeah. the rest of us. <laughs> There's no way I'm taking that on the chin. <laughs> when, when's the book due to come out at this point? Well, I'm aiming, for aiming for October. Oh, lovely. So if I get it finished well, and approved by yeah. July latest, yeah. we reckon we can do October. Oh, perfect. We'll be able to do a big so shout-out for it. When it it would be out. great. I mean, it, yeah. it would be nice to do it. It's, it's, it's going to be just, huge, uh, right? Just a massive... Book. It is a big book. It's 460 pages, we oh, think. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so it covers every project you could conceivably think of from all mm. countries. What an amazing um, achievement. Thank yeah, you it's... for existing, Because we all, all Queen fans are on this scale. The problem I had, the massive problem I had, was I didn't begin the book with all the images that I would need all sorted. I had about 12 hard drives over the last 17 years that collectively had 160,000 images. Jesus Christ. With multiple multiple dupes, dupes all over the place, because mm-hmm. I was forever safety copying safety copies. So I spent seven months sorting out images, and that really was upsetting and soul-destroying. And mm-hmm. I was running out of time. I've got to get the book done. I haven't even started on the book because I'm sorting out images. So actually... Had the images all been sorted and ready, it would have been an absolute breeze, this book. So, I've got a couple of questions for you. Hmm. So, my question is, when you're wandering through these uh, mystery archive buildings, wherever they may be, uh, what other items in there, like maybe one or two items that, that when, when, you, when, you, when they catch your eye, they make your heart still skip a beat, even to this point where you're just like, oh, that is, that is just the best thing ever. I mean, it depends what floats your boat and what you like. I like, generally speaking, anything Japanese, anything to do with early Queen and posters. So Brian has early Japanese posters, for example. They're absolutely gorgeous. He has lots of tour passes, backstage passes and laminates going right back to the Mott the Hoople tours of 73. And he's got things like... um, tour jackets that he would have been given at the time mm. and most of them looked like they were made yesterday mm. wow, they're Beautiful. in that good condition oh my god i did a spread yesterday where i chose six six of the jackets to show on a two-page spread and i did actually sit there for 10 minutes just looking at them because they're oh. so lovely because some people as i mentioned in the thanks to the book i think it was appropriate to I thought it was appropriate to credit all the designers and photographers that have ever photographed or designed Queen memorabilia. Because some of it is absolutely stunning. So there's lots of things, lots of things that I love. I, whenever any, a lot of us have this experience, and I'm sure you have it more than anyone, whenever anything to do with Queen appears anywhere, I'll get lots of notifications on social media. And recently, probably two months ago, three months ago, there was a big auction in a local auctioneers of Queen flight cases. There were loads of cutouts from the Great Pretender video. And did you buy all the stuff? Because I'm just wondering who (laughs) bought it, because it was an insane amount of big, like, great memorabilia. And I just wondered if that got snaffled up. I'm not always aware of them. I'm registered with about 
at least a dozen auction houses and they they often it's getting too much actually I, I usually every day now will get a notification of a of a sale coming up and view view the auction it says view all the lots but if i were to do that with every one that i i got it it would be more or less full time mm-hmm. just monitoring auctions but it would be good to be tipped off so if you ever see any good stuff like that it's always hmm. good but, but generally speaking no there was a there was a time back uh, probably a decade ago where Brian was more up for buying stuff like that, or Queen were. And if lyric, handwritten lyrics came up for sale, I would write to the band or to Jim Beach and say, these are coming up, do we want them? But more and increasingly, they were saying, no, no, we, we've got enough. When Where does it end? So we, we, we kind of stopped buying those things. But there are incredible things that come up all the time. People that used to work for Queen back in the day are now reaching an age where they're retiring or indeed some of them have died and families put up for auction their collection. They, they go into the garage and they find what their husband has been hoarding in the garage boxes or attic and some amazing treasures as happened with uh, Mike Stone when he passed. Loads of great stuff came up. Do you, do you know where Freddie's yellow leather jacket is because mm. that was that was sold yes. at auction a few years ago yeah that it? sold a good decade ago and we we uh, that was one of the things that i did flag and say surely we want to buy this but they weren't really interested in, in it really? so which was a bit surprising but they have their reasons so i know the lady who bought that and she's very discerning and she she buys all kinds of quite elegant things rather than just anything she's quite discerning and chooses what she's going to spend her money on and uh i think that went for something like 10 or 12 grand at the time it's probably worth 50 or 60 now so you it's a very wise way of investing your money Mm. you never get anything like that return at any bank yeah yeah so gary cooper the famous gary cooper has asked us uh did they ever record the track hangman they played it live in the early shows up to 1976, but was it ever recorded? And if so, will it ever be released? Well, I've never heard a studio recording. I've only ever heard live recording. There was talk some years ago by a guy who subsequently died, a, a fan called John Stewart, wrote to me and said that he had an acetate of Hangman. Now, I don't know there would ever have been a reason for an acetate to have been created. It wasn't ever considered for a single or to be on an album. And even if it were to be on an album, it would have been on an acetate with three or four other tracks. So I don't think it was ever... I've never heard a recording in the studio. I don't think it was ever going to be released in any way. So I doubt there exists any studio recording of that song. Do you have any idea why it kind of fell by the way because it just seems to have been a very popular track in their live set early on no i don't know it's it's a bit an obscure thing and it's 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 on its own in that most of the stuff queen performed in their earliest concerts before they had a record deal they went on to record Mm. albeit in very different forms sometimes but most of the most of the stuff they played live maybe without exception or the exception of hangman they did subsequently record but i've been through all the earliest recordings all the multi-tracks listened to everything 
and never heard never heard that which you could say well maybe they didn't keep it maybe they didn't like it enough but mm. other things they kept which they would never want to be public not the best performances or you know just a rehearsal or a run through and they mm. kept that so i would have thought if they had recorded it there would it be would one be or two takes somewhere and right. i've never heard them so i think no is the answer that feels mm. fairly definitive in a similar yeah. manner mark wade <laughs> specifically said, could you please ask Greg Brooks this, will there ever be an anthology release of Queen along the lines of the Beatles anthologies? I know there was talk of this possibly happening back in the 90s. I believe Greg Brooks was maybe working through hours of outtakes. I remember him playing some teasers at one of the conventions, which included the track Silver Salmon, which is a song I really like. The second half of Silver Salmon, I genuinely Hmm. think is wicked. (laughs) It's so good. Hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess the same kind of answer, really. Well, that's a big question, really. When I first started with Queen, we were talking about the possibility of an anthology and what form it might take. And the band were interested in options, so the small team of Queen team got our heads together and we came up with all kinds of things. So I remember, for example, we came up with an idea for five boxes. And one of the first box would have the queue on the spine and the next would have you and so Mm. on. And we were going to split the entire career up into five sections. And then we did a three box one. And then we did uh, a small box for each album, but realised that certain albums didn't really stand alone on their own in terms of anthology. For example, you know, people are going to buy the game and the works more more times than they're going to buy just a queen two or she heart attack because of the the early albums have fewer songs that you would recognize the title of if you weren't a big queen fan Mm. you have to imagine you know joe public going into a store picking up a queen box seeing seven seas arise the only song title they know so we we had to think about all those things and we did put together some really quite elaborate proposals for all kinds of anthologies and then for whatever reason, they didn't happen. And I think it's probably true that the band think that you only do an anthology when you've got nothing else to offer or your career's over. Right, 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 right. And their mm. career they're is very popular. Yeah, they feel their career is has a long way to go. So that's the sort of thing you might do in five years' time or 30 years' time. Right, right, right. Uh, but we have planned it and we have come close. I mean, as you know, we've done the News of the World 40th anniversary box uh, where we did do precisely that anthology thing where we went into the archive and we dug out at least one version of each song on the album and offered it in an alternative form. Oh, you, um, you've the archive. Right, John. Did you pick that up? Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> he mm. loves it. He absolutely loves it. Thank you so much, Greg. My God. Thank you. Greg, it's so amazing for you to when join us. When can we come to the archives? <laughs> <laughs> We're happy to come one by one if that's better for you. <laughs> we'll see what we can do one day. We need to We are, um, on that note, you can imagine, we are extremely protective of the archive, you, you know, no one comes there unless they absolutely have to. You, you know, we, we're quite strict about it. As You could count on one hand the people that have been there. We, right. It's, it's, uh, it's the focal point of the whole 
archive is is the tapes and the video and the well, film. Well, I absolutely have to. Suze, do you absolutely have to? <laughs> I do have you to. You do, don't you, John? <laughs> yeah. oh, well, if you absolutely have to, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I've got to I've got to place this uh, <laughs> this Christmas cracker in the archives, and I will and I will and you'll have a little sort of uh, little cabinet for it, I imagine. I, I just uh, understood that if you bring biscuits, Greg will let you in. That's basically I, how. I, I know <laughs> which one are we talking? Boasters? <laughs> Riddle sold. If it's malted milk, I'll definitely let you in. All right. Oh, oh I can get I can get you loads of them. There's a shop desk down there. They sell them. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Greg. That's been amazing. Greg Brooks, everyone. Yay. Thanks, Greg. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that, buddy. We could have done four hours on that. That I know. Very easily. Very, (laughs) very easily. Uh, Wow. That was Greg Brooks. How amazing was that? Absolutely loved having him on the pod. Uh, well done, guys, for holding yourselves together so well. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought it might be time for us to actually review the Queen de la Queen playlist. Ooh. Because we've oh. been building this playlist now for six albums, which means there are 12, I think, tracks in the playlist. And you've probably forgotten what they are. So I thought I would mention them. Uh, you can quickly just say yay or no as to whether you agree <laughs> with their placement. Uh, so we open with My Fairy King. Oh, yay! Yeah. No one regrets that Keep Yourself Alive's no. not there? The eyes have it. The eyes have it. Son and Daughter. Great. Strong Kung Fu, right? Father to Son, I think it's the correct mm-hmm. one. I have no problem there. <laughs> March of the Black Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is rock solid, right? This is a great playlist. We got Brighton Rock. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean Tenement Funster. No. Okay. All right. Uh <laughs> In the Lap of the Gods Revisited. Yeah. Which yeah. is all right, right? This teaches yeah. 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 you have to have that. You have to have that. Stone Cold Crazy should be put no, no, I think that's there. Thirty nine, correct, hundred percent correct. Hmm. Uh Prophet Song. I think you can't mm. deny. Oh, yeah. But it, it did go in over love of my life. Mm. That's all right. They can see that in the film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Suze. All right, we're getting very recent now. So uh, accidentally tie your mother down got in instead of you and I. Ah, yeah. <laughs> very, very, great shame. What can you do? Drows correctly got in instead of Teo Toa. Yes. Right? Yeah? Thanks, <laughs> Suze. I feel really strong yes. about it. So that was... That was Roger coming in for the first time. And yeah, then yeah. spread your wings. Yes. Has John yeah. coming in for the first time. So they they they, they uh, team tagged in like powerhouse wrestlers and are bringing mm. us up to uh, most recent entry is my Melancholy Blues. That's, mm. not, that's not a bad playlist. That's a great right? playlist. Pretty it's great a great playlist. playlist. It's, it's on Spotify, playlist. isn't it? It is it's on Spotify. It's better than Great Sits 3. <laughs> <laughs> Needs more Wycliffe Jean. <laughs> uh, yes, I had to, uh, in fairness, I had to really search on Google to find the Spotify playlist. So we are going to try and make it more visible. It is out there. It is out there. Uh, I found that if I Googled um, Queen Pod, Queen de la Queen, I think it came up in the end. Wow. Uh, but, we can yes. tweet it, can't we? Well, we will tweet out the uh, link to the playlist. If you want the link, it's uh, open.spotify.com forward slash 
playlist forward slash six capital B small B capital M small Y R. Do you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll just um, it's catchy. It's we'll, put catchy. It out. we'll put it out. W W W. All right. Well, it is time <laughs> for John to do his five spotlights on one Mr. Brian May. Ooh. Yes. So what I've done is I've just. I was either going to think about this for a week and have to go and live in the sea, or <laughs> I just picked five moments that I thought showed different elements of Brian's guitar playing. Um, and the first, uh, well, the first thing I want to do is compare something, but we'll start with a solo which is very un-Brian, because we were talking in the last episode about the fact he didn't do all those crazy sort of guitar athletic stuff that a lot of people were doing in the 80s and 90s. So I thought it'd be interesting to show some stuff that is actually quite un-Brian, uh, but still amazing. So this is a solo from Great King Rat. Show me! Sounds like he's using a bit of a wah pedal there, John. I, do you know, I think he might be. And what I think's really interesting about that solo is it's it's so like a lot of the sort of fashionable music at the time, that kind of um, Hendrixy, uh, Led Led Zeppi. But I thought it might be interesting to go back a little bit further oh. in Brian's music playing career, a little bit further than Brian would probably like. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just play a clip of him playing Purple Haze with 1984. Oh, oh my wow. goodness! I didn't know you were doing just this profound deep cuts discovery stuff, John. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm giving you house out, points. You're getting house points. Turns out all you have to do to be a Queen archivist is go on YouTube. <laughs> 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 it's so but, much. Um, it just shows a where the I think the influence for that solo comes from but also how much Brian has come along as a guitarist, not just himself, but in terms of the equipment he's using, the Mm. studio setup, the amount of money they had to spend. But it's just a short clip of uh, Brian playing, playing the solo. Help me. Ah, help me. 
their ads. I love YouTube. Well done, John. <laughs> well, well done, done, YouTube. That's so good. How has this stuff survived? Incredible. It's also amazing that Brian, considering how known he is for such a huge sound, uses less effects than any other guitarist mm. I think is probably ever in the history of rock music. Mm. Um, so, But you see him there using a wah pedal on Great King Rat and the fuzz or the overdrive on the... Uh, 1984 cover of Purple Haze, but I, so I think that's very, very nice sort of trip to some early and some almost prehistoric May. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in just a couple of years' time, a solo which I know is very familiar, but the more I listen to it, the more I think it, it is just extraordinary. And I, the more I listen to it, the more I can't quite understand how it's so good. Uh, which is the solo from Killer Queen. I just don't just think there's a more... I just don't think anyone's ever written music like that. And the way that the, he he creates the counterpoints in the same solo, mm. so it sounds like there's two guitars. Mm. So it sounds... I mean, that's about 35 seconds, which is actually longer than I thought it was. Mm. Mm. Roll over Beethoven, right? He's he's sort of the guitar is answering itself. So those counter melodies aren't just counter melodies to the song; they're counter melodies to each each bit of the solo. So that gives it that full sound, even though that's something you can play on one guitar live, just using a treble booster and an amp. Mm. Just mm. Uh, just astonishing, mm. and and also to have thirty nine seconds of a sub three minute song, it just doesn't feel like it dominates the song at all. Mm, it does, mm. you yeah. know. When you think of Killer Queen, you don't think, oh, with that big long guitar solo mm. in it. Yeah. Even though it's about twenty five percent of the time. Yeah, but it is a bit of the song that you do think of. It is a really important uh, part of that song. So oh you yeah, sing along yeah, with the guitar solo, right? <laughs> yes, mm. and I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. You can sing along to Brian's yes, guitar solos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you yeah. can't do that to many other guitarists. Mm -hmm. um, next up, I thought it would be um, nice to have a little delve into a live moment and this is one of my favorite brian live moments it's from uh, don't stop me now off live killers
I remember when I first heard that album because there were no yeah. sort of loads of Queen outtakes and rarities and yeah. stuff. To hear him playing the solo differently, yeah. to hear how they built up as a minute of just that sort of rhythm guitar almost and then to, for it to burst forth yeah. in in a song I know that Brian at the time wasn't particularly a huge fan of and uh, on an album that bizarrely he absolutely <laughs> despises sort of I, I, there's an interview with him where in terms of the way it was recorded I don't think it was quite up to the standard he wanted for a live album um, but that to me I loved listening to that again and again yeah. I'd go back and rewind it and sort of prance around my bedroom as they built up ready, yeah. pretending to sort of get my guitar ready and I stuff. I prefer it to the album version, if I'm honest. Yeah, I do. And the Life Colors version. It's incredible. Yeah. Well done, Phil. That's a great choice. Uh, my next choice is... Final choice? Is this it? Your last one? Done. Um, great King Rat, Purple Haze, Killer Queen. Well, they were sort of a comparison. Oh, great oh King he's got Haze. six! Oh, well, it's not a queen. I, I do, I do too. Right, oh, that is, you've done as well. Both of you are losing house points. But the, for comparison. You never <laughs> said you we couldn't have 1984 tracks. <laughs> well, my next track is a Brian May guitar opus. And it is... He... In the collection of things Brian May makes a guitar sound like, at least three entries are on this track. And uh, so we're now going to hear a clip from uh, Gimme the Prize. Oh, oh yeah! <laughs> Um, so that's the opening solo, and that is a very, very rare occasion of Brian uh, tapping. Mm. Um, I don't think he does tap on the intro to I Want It All, though it sounds like he does. I think he's just playing very fast, but I might be wrong. Um, but do we have another clip from that song, Giles? What? Yeah, they, this is just right. just to hear... For comparison. <laughs> just for the archives just of Brian making a yeah, guitar yeah. sound like other things... What I want you to pay attention to here, he's not this just making it sound like a... than spotlight, John. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> he's, we said pick songs, not clips. <laughs> all right, all right. Fair oh, cool. I only have five you. songs. Um, <laughs> so he's making a guitar sound like bagpipes, but because it's Brian, he makes it yeah. sound like both parts of the bagpipes. <laughs> so the droning, yeah. the droning wind sound, and the actual sort of piped bit. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
were to sort of list the big Brian guitar tracks, you might forget Give Me The Prize, but when you listen to it, because it's an album track and it's not really played much, it's insane. It's a monster. Yeah, yeah. it is. And do you know what? I always think A Kind Of Magic is underrated for just how heavy an album it is. Mm-hmm. It really is a thunder... You know, you, you're chucking in, you know, Prince of the Universe, One Vision... Uh, uh, don't lose your head. All of these tracks are just like woof. But uh, give me the mm. prize is an outrage. What a beautiful choice! Didn't you remind me of that thing that you and Giles mentioned a while ago? Is that when guitarists are doing solos, they have one of two faces. <laughs> they either look at their guitar with like awe of look what I'm doing, or disgust at what I'm doing. Brian's not one of those, but in that song he is. He's looking at the guitar. Going, oh my god, what is this I'm doing? <laughs> He does that sort of uh, bagpipesy thing a little bit on uh, Machines Back to Humans as well on the Works album. I just love that. So, but of course, it's for the Highlander film. Of course, he's playing the bagpipes with his guitar, Mm. and and the bagpipes sound good. And also, special mention to John Deacon as well, who is playing a part of that bagpipe drone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But finally, just to show how deft and emotive Brian can be on the guitar. A song which always makes me cry. It's Bijou. There's footage of Brian playing that uh, in somewhere in Eastern Europe. I think it's Queen and Adam Lambert, or it might even be a special event. And Freddie comes up on the screen behind. And it's really classy that Brian actually leaves the stage Uh... when Freddie comes on. And it's such a sweet moment. But I I think one of the reasons I love Brian's playing is he's for all his sort of rocky side which i think is very much him he's also quite a shy guitarist mm. and i think in that solo you can hear his shyness and i wonder if that's why some of his solos are so nuanced and so concise is because there are two sides to him there is the sort of tie your mother down brighton rock give me the prize disgusted with how amazing <laughs> his guitar sounds but there's also a part of him that is sort of trying to hide. And I and I think Bijou is such a, an unusual and incredible track because it's so hard to sound 
that moving when you're an unaccompanied electric guitar because it's not a it's not particularly moving instrument it's mm. not like a violin or a piano but because it's brian he's able to sort of bring you into his own emotional space and i yeah. it's one of my all-time favorite moments yeah beautiful that, that was beautiful. from the paul rogers tour the bit you're referring to yes yes yeah. that's right ah. yeah. amazing well listen let's do a a, a, a listener question and then uh, we will hear what Susie spotlights on Freddie? So that was well done, John, and wow. I can't wait for what Susie's got. Uh, we've got a, a, a listener question from Andy, our bohemian in LA. Hello, this is Andy from sunny Los Angeles, California, here to share some support from the US. I'm very much looking forward to traveling to the UK sometime after the pandemic is finally over. And I wanted to quickly ask what are some good Queen centric locations that a tourist like me might like to visit once I'm able to? A stroll through Hyde Park is definitely top of mind, but I was wondering if you guys had any other suggestions. Much love to you all, and keep up the great work. What a superb question. Yeah. Got Andy, yeah? He's bringing production value to this podcast. I'm telling yeah. You. Well yeah. done, Andy. Thank you so much. Lovely to hear from you. That's a great question. <laughs> That's an mm. awesome question. I think once you've strolled through Hyde Park, it's not far to then head down to Imperial College and just go and mm. soak up where it all began. Um I would go to Delane Lee yes. in Soho. Um, do I mean that? Oh, no. Well, you you do, but that wasn't the... D- Delane Lee is in Soho, but that's not where they did it. That was up at Wembley. But ah. Trident is. Trident Studios is yes. in Soho. Yes. Because you can then recreate the trip they made from Trident Studio to the Ship Pub, which is still there, yeah. where they used to go, I think, before sessions because they were recording so late at night. Um and I've been to the ship a few times and it's quite something to imagine the band sort of sat there completely anonymous yeah. mm. as as sort of bankers drank and artists drank next to them and to have travelled back in time and go, you know, that's Queen. <laughs> and like, no, I've never heard of them. Yeah. They just look like yeah. any other sort of long-haired 70s group of guys. Yeah. yeah. Or you can easily uh, hop across to Kensington, South Ken and walk past Garden Lodge respectfully. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the yeah. and the Apollo in Hammersmith, you can yeah. see it because it's on the front of the uh, box set. Yeah. Um, so you can go and see where they played well, there. Mm. Such a great watch something, whatever they've got on there. Um, I thought maybe, uh, you know, what American visitor would come to London without seeing Buckingham Palace? Because Brian oh, got yes. up on that roof. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 So you point. can have a look at Brian's roof. Yeah. 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 That's it. That is what it's called, Brian's Roof. It is, Brian's yeah. Roof. They had to rename it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brian'ham yeah. Palace. Yeah. <laughs> it's Queen's Palace now. Uh, and um, uh, I thought also, uh, I don't know how he'd quite do it, but wander around Notting Hill until he found the Queen offices. Yeah. Well, they're not there anymore, but they used to be. Yeah, Pembridge, was it Pembridge Road? That was Notting Hill. And also, there's a blue plaque outside Freddie's childhood home now, or teenage oh, yeah. home in Feltham. Yeah. Oh, so when you fly in, you can easily... Yeah. That can be your first Just point of call. Fly in, if you fly into Heathrow, you can get there in minutes. And if you if you put your if you fly in in the hold by putting yourself in your suitcase, then you can be handled on some of the same baggage handling <laughs> yes. equipment that Freddie would have used. That's it, I, guys. I'm seeing a walking tour, a Queen Pod walking <laughs> tour here that we could charge an obscene yeah. amount of money. It's top tier Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For the Queen walking 
Queen. Do you know what? I'm ditching to... all the plans for Queenland, and I'm gonna get in the walking <laughs> tour from Heathrow to Notting Hill. Um, I also thought to get out of London, maybe you'd get up to. I'm sorry, the name escapes me of the place, which is awful, but. Um, that beautiful studio where they recorded uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, where you can actually go and stay, you were telling us, John. Oh, Rockfield. Rockfield, yeah. Rockfield Oh, thank wow. You. Yeah, gorgeous. I mean, yeah. Go stay there and spend a what couple a of What a part of the world and... Monmouth is. Yeah, you could stay at Rock, mm. Rockfield and sit on Roy Thomas Baker's sparkly orange toilet seat. Right. <laughs> and you, you can see the weather vane, can't you, that inspired any way the wind blows. Is that, is yes. that right? Yes. <laughs> and, and the Shock. wall that uh, inspired Wonderwall, yeah. according to the guy who gave the tour. <laughs> oh, what a great question. Thank you, Andy. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant fun. Uh, and also, uh, Freddie went to... Um, I'll just say, yeah, Freddie, Andy, Freddie went to Ealing College which is just around the corner from where I live. So you can pop down there and we'll have a, we'll have a beer. Yeah. How about that? All right, beautiful. <laughs> so uh, let us hear Suze Kempner's spotlight on Freddie Mercury. My God, I, I, I feel so guilty that we, have to, that we give you the Freddie, but you, you have to have the Freddie. <laughs> oh, please. I just don't know how you do it. Don't feel guilty, but also I feel guilty because prepare to be bored. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote a lot and then cut a lot. This was really hard, finding five um, examples of Freddie's incredible vocals. So I had to just go on instinct and go, this is probably a good example. The first one I've come up with is, so this is the moment that we see what's to come. It's the moment that Freddie, who was still finding his voice and will continue to at this point, sounds like the complete Freddie Mercury that will come to be known as the world's greatest frontman in history. Um, And in just this short little burst, it shivers because I know that that sound in 1973 will hold the world wrapped on stage at Live Aid in 1985. It's from Great King Rap from Queen One. Hit it, DJ Giles. No! So, so all yeah. three of you have gone for Great King Rap. Yeah, it's really crazy, amazing. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a shame um, John's uh, bass playing so rubbish on that track, <laughs> otherwise I... <laughs> 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 no, I feel really guilty that I didn't include John now. <laughs> I am amazed we all picked that. But yeah, there's a, the start. The, that moment there, for, out of everything on Queen One, is the bit where you go, oh, there's Freddie. That's, that's the complete Freddie Mercury. Yes. Uh, so the second clip I've picked, this is... It's 15 seconds. And in this 15 seconds, Freddie shows us everything he can do. There it is, his entire voice from listen to the start with this hard grit rock and so much pain and passion into his wonderful twangy semi-belt, semi-falsetto that he did. And then the final part of this 15 seconds, we get his delicate, intimate sound that could make 250,000 people in a stadium feel like he was singing only to them, like three feet away. Um, it's really incredible. I never tire of hearing this opening 15 seconds from It's a Hard Life. <gasps> I know 
That's is, m- masterful. <laughs> is that as hard to sing as I think it is? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I don't want... That's so... Um, that's so high for a guy anyway, but it's so high, hard to hit that as a guy in full voice. And then he goes one higher and it's a whole different sound he's using. But as I say over and over again, it's Freddie. So it sounds like the same voice. He's just using a different color of the voice. So this phrase is sort of broken up into three sections across 15 seconds, but you never go, oh, he's doing something. Oh, it, that sounds like it doesn't fit. And then that bit doesn't fit with the rest of it. So, so yeah. In when he does so i don't want my freedom (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i don't there's no there's no yeah yeah so is that him going into his head voice uh so head voice and chest voice aren't really a thing because we sing from our larynx but what he's what he's doing there is he's flipping the voice into the male falsetto um, which isn't the same as the female falsetto. Like the female falsetto is like Mariah Carey's <laughs> her whistle notes. That's female falsetto. Um, I'm really embarrassed that's going to be on the podcast now. That was horrible. Uh, but anyway, she, but the the male the male falsetto can sound really horrible and counter tenory like. <laughs> but Freddie doesn't do that. He has like a big, full, rich falsetto, and it's because he puts loads of twang on it. And if you want a good example of lots of twang, uh, who can I think of? He sings with a, a lot of twang, but it's not horrible. Um, oh, Kate Bush. Loads of twang in Kate Bush's voice, but Freddie's got a way of making it still sound like a complete sound, and he does it so brilliantly there in that. Will you do 15th... it for us, please? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, do you want some Kate Bush? <laughs> no, the, it's all right. A hard so line. he's going in a full voice. I'm gonna sit back a bit because that's how. So you can't really oh, see my pajamas. You, I've got one foot in front of the other, and my weight is on the back foot, and my shoulders are back, and my chin will be slightly up for. I don't want my freedom. And he stays on that for. There's no reason for living. And then he comes in very close to the mic, I imagine, for. With a broken heart. So he's free. Oh, Sue's <laughs> Kepler. Oh, lucky you guys not having to be in the room with that because. <laughs> um, we could we could do that at the fan convention yeah, and everyone yeah, goes shut up <laughs> tell her to shut up yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. it's just he he's got an amazing way of showing us every part of his voice in that 15 seconds but it is also one voice wow. so that's why i love that 15 seconds wow wow um okay so my third one is mustafa yes uh, mate I want to talk to you about placement and prep. So, uh, John and I are comedians, so the preparation and build-up to the joke, the moment where everyone will hopefully laugh, is as important as the punchline. Planning and preparation for a big TV project. We'll see a project flourish. As a dancer Sometimes, if you've ever seen me, it's just an awful lot of preparation. (laughs) (laughs) I've done 60 minutes where it's in preparation. Uh, I call it Edinburgh 2016. Um, So... 
<laughs> like a, a dancer about to do pirouette, it can't come out of nowhere. You have to prep your turn and then the turn takes care of itself. So it's the same with singing. Freddie's effortless sound that I'm about to show is all in the prep and the placement. So I chose this moment from, I think, a 79 live tour date because the sound he's making maybe isn't so impressive initially, um, but to me, it's the holy grail in singing. He hits a G, which will be right on his vocal break, with this clean sound that slices through the space. He could be unmiked, and that's the sound that would hit the back of the stalls. And it's all in his placement and prep, and that's why it looks and sounds effortless. Uh, there's a dancer called Donna McKechnie, who's my favourite dancer, and she says, don't show the work. And that's what's going on here. There's so much going on, so much prep and perfect placement going on to achieve the sound he will make. Uh, and I show this to people who want to learn to sing as the pinnacle of, like, perfect singing. So it's literally five seconds as well. <laughs> so awesome, so Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know, I included all of that because I like the bit where he comes back in because they can't, they then can't, the crowd can't sing along with Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> and that, that sound he's making, like, I try, if I teach, and I'm a, quite a bad singing teacher and I try and do as little of it as possible but when I've um, been teaching to make ends meet I will try and teach people to make that sound it, there's a high tongue there's a perfect cricoid tilt which is when the chin is slightly lifted um, and but he looks entirely relaxed singing Mustafa and it's it's amazing. And when you see people suddenly make that sound, they go, oh, and they're so surprised. Whereas Freddie wouldn't be, obviously, because he just made it. <laughs> just I truly that. believe that every single one of our listeners is going to be doing that in the shower. <laughs> 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 do you know what I mean? Please do. Sing Queen loud. <laughs> Sing Queen loud. And when, But when you've done, the, when the prep and the placement is right and you make that sound, it won't feel hard. Yeah, the exactly. Bit is all Make sure the shower the bit, runs the a bit, bit before, before it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number four, um, I chose. Oh yeah, okay. I chose this because I've just talked about technicalities, and I don't want that to take away from the main thing that makes Freddie such a special singer, which is his pure exuberance and love for what he did, which is in a lot of ways a lot more valuable as a lesson to anyone wanting to be a singer than <laughs> high tongue, lift your soft palate, cry called tilt. Here he is <laughs> improving um, with nothing but love for his craft and total security in what he's about to do. Uh, but it's also kind of heartbreaking. So I have dubbed this moment, which is from... Um, a 1980 recording session on the game but was included on the Made in Heaven album. Uh, I dub it Autobiographical Improv. It's a beautiful day The sun is shining I feel good And no one's gonna stop me now Oh yeah It's a beautiful day I feel I feel right No one No one's coming 
sometimes I feel so sad, so sad, so bad. But no one's gonna stop me now. No. so great <laughs> I love my favourite bit is he goes sometimes he's so sad so sad and he just goes so bad but I like that very much I like that very much okay always, so the final I'll just say there so he's very quickly sorry just that whenever I hear that it takes me straight to that lake in Montreux yeah do you know what I mean just every time yeah. I'm just there i could swell mm. the oh, just what a beautiful choice thank you the the extra orchestrations are so incredible and it's mm. just uh it's that's and that's just a singer who's so um comfortable in what they do which is always a pleasure to listen to mm. so the final thing i'm gonna show you is it's not freddie singing it but then i've got freddie singing it so this is a half written song for the barcelona album that freddie did with montserrat caballé and she is a very accomplished soprano, one of the great opera singers um, of all time. And he wrote this song with Mike Moran, which later became a full album track. But this exists and it's called Exercises in Free Love. Um, yeah. And he, she recorded her version of it. So I'm going to play that and then I've got Freddie's version. Obviously, she's an opera singer. She knows every aspect of her voice. Um, how she's been able to uh, create that involves many years of training. Like It takes longer than it takes to train to be a doctor, to be an opera singer, um, which seems ridiculous because Freddie Mercury never had any training and he recorded a guide track for her, which he decided he would just sing in her key. Um, and... <laughs> I have all of that. <laughs> I've, I've oh put about God. a minute and a half. I've got about a minute and a half of that, uh, which you. is how I will close. Of what just like sweet. this is what a master Freddie was. He would sing in her key, and he's hitting e top E's um, with the same E's as Montserrat Caballé. <laughs>
Yeah, so that toppy is the same note that he hits at the end of Somebody to Love. Somebody to... But there's a... It's very... It's a very different sound to hit. Somebody to... To, like, the opera sound of... <laughs> that is a... It's just a completely different sound. And Freddie did it. That's wow. breathtaking. So... I well, hope that wasn't too long-winded and nerdy. That was, <laughs> that was one of the most amazing masterclasses. Thank you, <laughs> and thank you for bringing such a touch of bloody class to the whole thing. <laughs> I kept swearing. I never saw that coming. That was incredible. So, is that just natural talent and ability that that it, man? Yeah, is it just is. Biology. It is, and it sounds like and the and musicality. I know, I know. I think I whenever I've seen Freddie smoking, though, he it seems to be more to have something to do with his hands. Okay. That's why I tell myself because I'm like <laughs> I've never smoked a cigarette because I want to be a singer. Whereas Freddie just always had one on the go. But like, yeah, I think it's pure musicality and love for what he did. So much of it obviously just seeped in via osmosis. So he heard opera and went like fundamentally had an understanding of it that's not to say like freddie could have been an opera singer he could have walked into an opera and been you know the, the lead in carmen it, it that's that's not what i'm saying but he yeah. had like a he he had just had a fundamental musical understanding of different voices and what they did and it's so fascinating as a singing nerd to hear it God, imagine being monster yeah. at Kadaya and getting that from a rock star and going, yeah, well, right, yeah, okay, I'll and get she, what you're but for. she said, like, he <laughs> yeah. said he had to really up his game for Barcelona, the album, because he was like, oh, I'm having to sing in front of a proper singer. And he was so blown away by her use of dynamics, she can make her voice like as mm. tiny and whisper quiet, but still cut through. Uh, and I don't know why he found that so amazing, because he can do that too. And it sounds like it's in one take on that vocal demo. Wow. Suze Kemner. Bravo, madam. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank well, you. That is... <laughs> that is... Uh, I've got one last uh, uh, listener question that I thought we would enjoy. And then um, we'll just do the uh, wrap-up on the uh, top 10 Queen music videos. How does that feel? Perfect. Oh, yeah. I've got this question from Meadows, uh, who says, I want to ask if you could talk to Freddie for only 10 minutes, oh. what would it be about? Oh wow! <laughs> Maybe even a shout out to Susan Ryan as well. You asked a similar question as well, actually. Right, Susan, out in Nakusa. Excited <laughs> for that. Uh, who wants to go first on talking to Freddie Mercury for ten minutes? Well, I've already um, shown. <laughs> I've already shown what happened when I when Brian May said thanks for doing this. So I don't know. I... <laughs> Just probably do a lot of crying and then go, am I crying too much? <laughs> That's what it does. It's too I, difficult a question to it's answer. Too really, big, it's, it's too big, it's too big, yeah. I think my I think instinct... I talk, I, yeah, go on. I go talk on. about whatever he wants to do. <laughs> I was just going to say exactly <laughs> the same thing, yeah. That's it. I, Having learned from my Roger Taylor experience, yeah. I don't think he's the sort of person that you go... Um, uh, Freddie, on um, on Queen Two, on uh, White Queen, when you did, the, he would be like, A, mm. I don't remember. B, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Me, <laughs> yeah. But I would, I would probably ask him about some of his interests. What of his favourite paintings are? I would, yes. I would be happy oh, for him definitely. to, for him to take the lead there. Mm. Yeah. I think I would be only interested in seeing if I could turn that ten minutes into an outrageous night out on the town with Freddie Mercury. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do as many shots as we could in the 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So I think what we're saying is we would go, so Freddie, is there anything you'd like to ask us? (laughs) 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 You've got 10 minutes. What have you always wanted what to you always wanted to know? Yeah. The hosts of Queen Pod. Oh, my God. Well, there you go, Meadows. Uh, that has answered your question very thoroughly. So it is time now to hand over to dear producer Giles to find out what has happened to the top 10 Queen music videos since we've done a calculation with all of the fans' top 10s as well. I'm, I'm glad you are turning to me because it is very exciting. And what's is most it? exciting? What's most exciting is to find out that Queen fans gen- generally agree. Oh, <laughs> so, that's really nice to hear. There, there are there is there is a clear top three, right? And I, I think you can probably guess what those top three are, even though your top one wasn't in that top three. But let's start from oh. the bottom. Wow. Um, and number ten. With 130, do you know what? I'm going to say points. It, it, it's basically based on how many people wrote in and told us their top ten so, videos. But there were loads. There were loads of people. So is this just the fans, Brilliant. or is this fans blended with us? This is this is half. This is this is the blend. This is um. Okay. This is the overall all important rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But I mean, the sheer number of people. It's 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 yeah. It's quite extraordinary. Thank <laughs> you so much, fans, oh, well for, for listeners. Well sorry for, for for Queen fans for letting us know. At number 10, 137 points, breakthrough. Mm. Uh, yeah, why not? Tune. At number 9, with 170 points, these are the days of our lives. Ooh. Oh, lovely. Mm. Wow. That was John's number one. At number 8, with 178 points, princes of the universe. Yes. Oh, hell yeah. That was yeah. high for you, wasn't it, Simon? Yeah, I like that one. At number 7, with 190 these are all quite close. Yeah, the Miracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. fair play. A little bit of a jump up to number six with 207 points, A Kind of Magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good shout. At number five with 224, I'm Going Slightly Mad. That was your... Oh, well, that was that? News Guys oh. is number one officially. Yeah, that's low. Number four with 247 points, Innuendo. Ooh, yeah, good okay. choice. Got to respect that. Innuendo, 247 points. At number three, with 318 points. Wow. So a big yes. old jump is Bohemian Rhapsody. Ah. ah. Oh, oh yeah, enough. of course. And for the last two months, I, I, I could have opened a book on this, on what was going to be number one, what was going to be number two. It, it, they were just neck and neck the whole time. One pipping the other to the post by one vote one week and then it's just just come out you'll see how close it is and the clear margin for the top at number two with 345 radio gaga radio gaga good okay so they've made the right choice and at number one with 348 points so close i want to break free what wow really how interesting wait a minute are you saying the hang on this is a blend and the Invisible Man isn't in the top ten at all. <laughs> I'm afraid I had it at my number one. Sue's had it at number two, right? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, she didn't. They're calling all girls. <laughs> I had Invisible Man seven or eight, I think. This is an outrage. You know, of we... course, it was always going to come down to Gaga versus Break Free. That is I'm, I'm afraid to say I have a few stats. Only only six listeners, even out of I think about 
230 that, that voted in the end. Um, six mentioned Invisible Man, and one of them was to say, ha ha, why did Roe put this in his top ten? So, <laughs> I'm literally going to throw up right now. That's how I feel. That's how that makes me feel. Just to instantly throw up. Well, I was um, listening to that interview that Brian well, gave when he promoted Back to the Light, podcast. and he got asked the question, what, what's your favourite Queen video? And um, so I clipped that bit out because I thought... If if we were undecided, then we should get the definitive answer. You know, what is, <laughs> according to a member of the band, the best Queen video? Have you got uh, that clip? Oh. Producer Giles, take it away. What is your favourite video, maybe, this far? Yes, well, I don't know what's the best video. Radio Gaga must have been I like Radio production. Gaga. Yeah, I like Radio Gaga. There's a lot of input in that one. I like The Invisible Man, too. There's lots of input in that, and it worked out well. I have never gone from such depths of despair to such elation. (laughs) Yeah! Screw you, 230 Queen listeners. Yes! That's a Pyrrhic victory that means I'm not going to sleep for a week now. Do you know what? I'm going to give some money to charity. That's what, <laughs> That's what Rose does. He only picked it because he looks so charity. sexy with his stubble. Oh, yeah, he looks so sexy with his stubble. The invisible male Simon. Oh, oh, that is the best Simon Says of all time. When I heard that, <laughs> I was just like, oh, Rose going to love God. This. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't know if I can recover. I've somehow got a... On that bombshell, I've got a... <laughs> This podcast, I can barely speak. You should see their faces. They're all so quiet. (laughs) I love it. Well, there you have it. That's the end of the episode. And that is the end of the season. Hasn't it been a great season? What an amazing way to finish as well. With the Invisible Man as the correct answer for the greatest video of all time. According to Brian May, can't argue with that. Cannot argue with it. Um, So, uh, guys, what are we looking forward to for season three? Well, we've got. I mean, great... we're going to be looking. At, yeah, what are the albums we're looking at then? We're got, looking we've got at jazz. Jazz. Got jazz. Jazz. We got. Yeah. We got the game. the game. Oh yeah, that I think that's my favourite album. You know. And then uh, uh, we're going to do live. Are we doing Flash? Are we doing Live Killers? Are we doing Hot Space? We'll have to discuss. <laughs> we'll do them in the order they were released. <laughs> so, Live Killers. Jazz, the game, Flash, Live Killers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we're doing half a side per. So that is four. Well, no, I think we do a special on Live Killers. Yeah. There you go. You see, it's a minefield. All right, we're going to work all this stuff out. If you've got any suggestions, listeners, please send them in. So much to think about. Uh, while we're away, we'll be all over our emails and social media. So please do email us. Keep your stories and questions coming in. Uh, keep an eye out on our Facebook page and our social media feeds. Uh, so at the Queen Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, Queen Pod at thequeenpodcast.com uh, for the emails. Um, and uh, we have a final uh, bunch of Patreon thank yous for this season. It's been amazing, the response on Patreon. You have no idea how necessary it is. We're very, very <laughs> grateful to you. Uh, please, please keep spreading the word for the pod. And, um, and, and thank you very much. So, Suze, do you want to kick us off with our uh, last batch of Patreon thank yous for this season? Yes, thank you so much for supporting Queen Pod, Alison Wagle, Jamie Walker and Patrick Lytton. Yeah. I would 
also like to extend our heartfelt thanks to Chris Rolfe, Liam Connolly, and the marvellous Peter Sanderson. Thank you guys very much. He is marvellous. Yeah, they all are. <laughs> they are, they are, they are, truly. And thank you also to Gary Stanley, Maxime Webb, and Robin Whitmore. Absolutely. And uh, uh, I will round out this little bunch with Henry Cheshire, Mike Mason, and Steve Jonkman. Thank you all so much. Thank you all our patrons. And um, hopefully we'll be seeing some of you bohemians very soon. Well, we will be. Uh, so uh, keep your eyes out for that. Um, uh, and in the meantime, we are going to miss you so much. And <laughs> we will try and keep little bits of bobs going, won't we? We're going to have a little little things to see if we can uh, just every once in a while just say hello like we managed to do that little Christmas special yeah um, mm. between seasons one and two and that was really lovely to do so we will try and uh, look for opportunities to do that sort of thing you know what we talked to Greg Brooks for like an hour at least and I think we're only putting like 10 15 maybe 20 minutes of it into this pod so yeah maybe we'll put the rest of that out as uh, its own episode who knows keep your eyes out guys no, ears. Keep your ears out, guys. Um, and uh, uh, all it raised me to say is, so dear friends, our time has come. Soon your hopes will rise, and then from all this gloom, life can start anew, and there'll be no crying soon. No. So, thank you uh, to Suze, Simon, John, and producer Jazz. Goodbye! Bye! Bye-bye! Bye! This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.